welcome to a novel evening. I'm Danny. You can find me on Bookstagram as at Blotted Ink Books. And this week I am joined by the incredible Elizabeth McNeil, author of The Doll Factory and Circus of Wonders, um, which I absolutely fell in love with. Uh, her historical fiction is so unlike anything I've ever read. It's, you know, it's got a bit of the gothic in it. It's got a bit of magic sprinkled in there. Uh, she writes so beautifully. Um, she is definitely becoming a, a must-buy author for me um, straight away. With The Doll Factory, uh, if you love a little bit of gothic with your historical fiction, that's the one. Circus of Wonders, if you like just a little hint of magic, of beautiful things, there's something for you in, in all these books that she's written. They're both stunning. Um, so I'm very, very excited to see what she is going to bring to the table for her novel evening. So a huge hello to Elizabeth. Hello. Hi there. How are you doing? Yes, I'm doing really well. It's good, um, good. a lovely evening and the sun's coming in, so I'm pretty happy. Oh, I know. Why, why did I just talk about the weather? Terrible. Oh, because we're British. It's a little bit more exciting from here on. <laughs> we're English, so when we get like a tiny <laughs> glimpse of sun, we're like, oh, I'm in Devon and it has been raining pretty much all day. Um, <laughs> but it's glorious now, as you can see. It's it's a lovely evening, so you have to make the most of it in this country, don't you? Completely. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you, but thank you so much for coming on. I am... Very excited to chat with you. Firstly, about your books, yeah. which I books. adored. It still, it still kind of blows my mind that there's, you know, it's, there's a plural. But. There's a plural. There's two. <laughs> I mean, it's they've, you know, your first book, The Doll Factory, really kind of came out in the midst where everything with COVID was kind of happening, and mm. um, and obviously now, Circus of Wonders. Does it feel completely different? Does it feel, you know, the publishing process now and and getting to market it and things? Is it completely different? Um, well, the Doll Factory hardback came out a, a year pre pre COVID. Yeah. So that was that was brilliant. That was everything yeah. you'd, you'd want to launch to be. Um, and I was extremely lucky with that. Um, but the paperback came out on March the eighth, and I think we went into lockdown on the fourteenth yeah. of March. And you know, so that was. I mean, I, I, there were far worse things going on, but it was disappointing at the same time. You yeah. know, everything that I sort of. I, I I guess it. Yeah. Just just seeing it sort of just sort of slightly vanish into the world yeah. was, was um, not really what, what anyone expected. But actually at that point, uh, it was in a way, because all of my events were just cancelled pretty much overnight. Yeah. But I found a liberation too in writing because before then I'd been really struggling to write Circus of Wonders um, and I hadn't really kind of got into the right mindset for it because I think I was sort of so kind of doll factory oriented. And then all of a sudden, my calendar just cleared and it was the most surreal thing you know to have literally nothing in my calendar because it was before sort of like lots of online events they took a while to kind of get going yeah and so I then had these these sprawling months where I could just get completely into into my second novel and guiltily I really appreciated that time and space um although it was a really strange thing to be writing about the circus you know so much of it is about kind of spectacle and being tactile and friendship and it's sort of a big book about all of those things um and I was writing alone in my room having not left the house for you know two weeks or something and only having sort of you know increasingly <laughs> first contact with with my husband and and you know my my disobedient cat so it was very it was very strange I love that. 
I just, I found The Doll Factory and Sex Ones are two very different books. Well, I'm very flattered to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, they're both so different. They're beautifully written um, and very vivid. But the stories themselves, I found The Doll Factory quite dark in its yeah. subject matter. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah, but The Sex of Wonders felt so light. And I know it tackles some difficult subjects in there, but I think there's something about the characters that was so beautiful and there was so much hope in it. I think, yeah, I think it's a more optimistic book um, and it's yeah. more and it's more open in a way. I don't know, whereas The Doll Factory was kind of about collecting in small spaces and capture and display, whether yeah. that was, you know, Silas with his um, kind of his curious objects and taxidermy or like Louis painting Iris and sort of capturing her on his canvas. Whereas, yeah, the Circus of Wonders was about kind of Nell finding her place in this huge, big world. Yeah, that's more about freedom to me, you know, yeah. her learning to be free. Whereas you said the doll factory is about capturing things and keeping them yeah. in the boxes. And I think that's so interesting. Obviously, Nell as a character is just beautiful she's just wonderful um I, I had a real kind of affinity with her as I was reading actually which I didn't expect I just thought she was wonderful how did you come up with her as an idea um I I don't know I think um so the, the best way I can think about it is um oh gosh what's that playwright called uh um Norwegian playwright anyway I can't remember his name but um he, he always said that uh well he's the most famous Norwegian playwright Ibsen, Ibsen, Henry. There we go. <laughs> so he said that when he was getting to know his characters, his first draft would be like someone who he'd met on a train um, and had an hour-long conversation with. And then after that, it would be um, one of his intimate friends. And then after that, it would be, you know, someone who he had known for his whole life. And then the draft after that would be, you know, he knew his characters better than he knew himself and his own motivations. And I think that um, it's difficult to kind of articulate where Nell came from because... Um, she was just kind of I almost felt like I I could just see her better and better with each draft and she became more and more alive um, I also have like a really nerdy character questionnaire which I do which I fill in for like all of my main characters where it's like you know what's your favorite food and um, what do you dream about and these things like they sound really naff but they're so useful when I'm writing you know because the things that she would experience and choose to eat would be very different from Jasper and his experiences where he might sort of be more pretentious and choose something um I don't know continental whereas she has just got this very small world that is both familiar and cloying at the start of the book I love that and there is something isn't there about a circus I think it's it's one of those things whenever you read about it it's such people feel so strongly about circuses yeah. either people feel that they're awful they shouldn't be happening you know or people are completely lost in it and there's, I think as soon as you have a circus, it's going to be pretty magical. Yeah, absolutely. And I grew up in Edinburgh. So, um, you know, every August, basically, via the fringe, the circus comes to Edinburgh. The whole city turns into a circus in a way. You know, you walk down the street and there are people sort of juggling chainsaws and, you know, all sorts yeah. of bizarre things. And, you know, ever since I was a child, I was like, how is that your career? Like, how do you end up choosing to have this very itinerant life doing something sort of so eccentric um and so I think I've always been curious about that way of life and what it would be like to be really thrown into that like Nell is 
I love it. And I love in the doll factory as well, you've got kind of bohemian figures and people who are choosing to kind of live outside of the norm and, and do jobs that aren't ordinary. And I just think that's that's so incredible. With the doll factory, again, I, I'd love to know where your imagination came from for this, because again, you get so lost in it. <laughs> uh, I guess it's just, uh, um, I don't know really. I guess I've, I, I think of myself as kind of a magpie. I read something which I find interesting or I experience something which I find kind of fascinating and I'm like oh I'll take that you know and like Silas and and his weird collection came from me just stumbling across a taxidermist um, museum in East London and it was sort of this bizarre basement with like um, jars filled with pickled like moles and like a taxidermy lion in the corner and it was just it's just completely higgledy pickledy it's called the last tuesday society um and i just became totally fascinated by like the mind that created it like that kind of creates and curates and displays this pretty grisly stuff and so that's where silas came from and then you know iris my interest in pre-raphaelites and I wrote, and then I wrote my my dissertation at university on clutter in 1850s literature, and sort of it was just all of these things. And I guess the things which I'm interested in tend to be thematic because the human mind, everyone is drawn to a, a particular things. And I guess all of mine were sort of like around kind of collecting and yeah. art and making, which all, all you know, all of those, all the characters in the book have in common. Oh, and I love the idea of when when do people stop? When is it enough for somebody? When have you got the perfect collection and where is your cutoff point? Where are you willing to go to achieve what you think is the perfect collection? Um, and I find I am not a big fan of taxidermy, I have to say. No, um, I'm not either. No, whenever I go to like, any of the museums that are full of them, I find them really unsettling. I think it's like the BDIs are always watching you, aren't they? They're always keeping an eye on you, but they're not moving. And I find them quite, my kids love them. Yeah. I don't know why. And also just when, when you see those animals in real life, how beautiful they yeah. are and they're beautiful because of their life and their movement and something stuffed um, on the wall, just it just doesn't enchant me or do it for me. It just sort of it seems such a, such a poor facsimile of that. Yeah, you can't capture that, that truly, form. can you? Yeah, although I do follow an amazing taxidermist on Twitter called um, LK, and her work is beautiful and respectful and amazing. And she, yeah, she really, she's very ethical, and it's yeah, her stuff. I do love that. There's a similar. I can't see the account I follow. There's a similar account I follow that, and they do it so beautifully, and you say it's ethically done. Um, mm. And they source a lot of sort of woodland products and things, and that to me, it, the process is fascinating yeah truly but I still don't want it in my house <laughs> no I still don't no. <laughs> I don't want anything stuffed <laughs> yeah <laughs> because there was well, such a big at the moment I'd quite like to stuff the foxes that oh no in my garden <laughs> to be fair I feel that way about my dog <laughs> fairly often he'd probably be a bit nicer if he was just inanimate but <laughs> there was such a boom for taxidermy though wasn't there this idea in in Victorian times of like just mm. having all these inanimate animals everywhere it's... yeah and it, it it was it doesn't have the kind of the grisly connotations which it does now it was quite normal when your dog died to just have it stuffed as sort of commemoration and remembering your your animal like Rossetti um who I mentioned briefly in yeah. in, in the door factory he had his pet wombats and when one of them died uh, he he you know there were, there were many rumors about how it died allegedly by you know eating eating a scar 
but um, he had it stuffed and placed in his hall. And that was, you know, fairly, it wasn't even that eccentric a thing to do. It was just how kind of death and mourning worked. I think in those times, I think death was so hand in hand. You know, mm. people lived through death so closely. And I think they had such a different relationship with it to how we have now. It, you know, we've quite sterilised it now and it happens behind really? nice curtains and, it, and we don't see it. Totally. And and it would have been much more common. Oh, what, sorry. Just don't worry. Sorry. Gonna, I thought my, my laptop was plugged in. Um, I'll just pick up with, yeah, totally. Don't worry. I'm very used to editing stuff out now. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine yeah, totally. okay yeah totally and mortality rates were so much higher particularly yeah. young among younger people so it just would have I think it just would have completely changed the entire atmosphere of what it would like be like to live through all of that and to experience yeah. it and to have children and really admit the possibility that they might not all make it to adulthood yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I collect a lot of different things, but I've always had a bit of a thing. And it's very strange. I don't like taxidermy, but the the Victorian photos that were taken of people after death yeah. that you would keep. Photography, yeah. yeah, they were just and they're so eerie and they're so beautiful. Mm. But that was, a re again, a really normal thing to want to keep that and to have yeah, that. You didn't have any other way of remembering how they looked because you didn't have photos of them when they yeah. were alive because it was sort of a, an expensive, extravagant thing to do. Yeah. And so it was your way of remembering them so I think I read somewhere about someone having their horse stuffed as well I can't think it was that somebody <laughs> had their their whole horse stuffed and they would that was completely normal to just and, and also I guess a token of what you could afford if you could afford your horse to be stuffed and kept in your hall you were doing okay you need a large hall wouldn't you so you would <laughs> be perfect for hats and things though wouldn't it <laughs> you'd never you'd never run out of conversation yeah, and I have to ask yeah, sorry carry on. oh no no you I was going to ask, so we've obviously had the doll factory and we've had sex wonders. Do you know what you're working on next? Yes, I do. So um, I am working on um, a novel set. Um, it's kind of got a trick plot and it's oh. set. Um, I really need to get the, the elevator pitch for this. <laughs> it's set, set somewhere, something, something. Uh, yeah, it's, it's set against the construction of a sort of grand Victorian cemetery. Oh, you've had me at cemetery. Mm, I know that, that I love cemeteries. Yeah, me too. My I husband mean, won't go to them, but I. Oh, funny. Yeah. Well, he 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 lost his mum when he was young, so. Oh, that must be hard. <laughs> I think so I feel like I can't drag him to them if he said no. No, my favourite is uh, Père Lachaise in Paris. I loved mm. going to that because it's so it's just very cool. You could spend hours yeah. exploring it. And that was such a blueprint for the kind of the craze for the the beautiful um, cemeteries which came to the Victorian, which came to yeah. England in the 1830s. So. Oh, that you literally you had me at Victoria Cemetery. I was like, right, <laughs> when can we pre-order this? I need to read it immediately. <laughs> well, that's good to know. My market research is now 100% in favour of this book. Yeah, you know what? There is something, as soon as you say cemetery, and I can imagine black lace, and you just mm. get like pictures in your head, don't you? And there is something, so I kind of, it's a shame people don't really have these grandiose mausoleums and things anymore. Perhaps I'll bring that back one day. <laughs> <laughs> with, your, with your stuffed horse. 
Yeah, with my stuffed horse, I'll be buried with it. <laughs> It'll be very big. Um, I need a horse first. That is the only the only issue here. But this yeah, sounds it's fantastic. Block. Yeah. yeah, it is a little bit. I don't really have room for a, <laughs> for a horse. But that sounds fantastic. I cannot wait to read it. Oh, thank you. Oh, okay. So I'm expecting now from your evening, I'm expecting some either historical characters or historical figures. Oh, I'm so predictable. I like I'm glad because I have not been able to guess anybody's at all um and it's I've I've really sucked at it actually the last few times people have come on I'm like I don't know what you're gonna do uh but that's not a bad thing because I love historical fiction okay well good I'm excited oh here you go I'm I'm very excited so where are we gonna go first of all um so I, I know this is really really boring and cliche but um I, I when I, I I think we'll go back to my wedding day because oh. you know that was that was a big party that I organized and if I may say so myself it was an excellent party and it was just it was just everything that I really wanted from a day it was absolutely beautiful I got married just outside Italy in this small town called Orvieto and the sun shone and you know we got married in a ruined monastery and the food, the food was just insane. You know, we knew it was, that was basically why we went to it because we were extremely yeah. greedy. And, you know, with, with, with the meetings with the caterers, you know, because I, I said to Johnny, I absolutely refused to get married in the UK where you paid a hundred pounds per head for like a square inch of like, you know, sort of the, the soggy pork belly. So that, yeah. was, that was just the absolute antithesis for what I wanted. I wanted good food. And our first first meeting with the caterer there was, they said, oh, would you like uh, six courses or eight? And I was like, well, yes, I, I think I think this is this is the place for us. <laughs> I think we need so, eight courses. <laughs> yeah, so I will be treating treating my guests to um, either six or eight courses. Um, oh, I'm know, all about food. Food yeah. is the most vital part of an evening. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I spend a lot of my time thinking about food and the greatest tragedy of having a baby is just being unable to cook. Well, oh, oh. I can cook, but I have to do, he's, a, he's in a super clingy phase where oh, no. I basically have one arm for the entire day because he's being carried around on my hip. So wait until you get to the point where you can cook good food and they don't want to eat it. Okay. Well, my, my son is currently as greedy as I am. So good. Good. He had to discover that mysterious. Oh, my son might eat fruit or vegetables of any shape, size, <laughs> format. It. Oh my! It's horrendous. Um. He can now. He's three, but he will. He says it makes me sick. <laughs> so I'll sit and prepare these beautiful meals, and I'm like, oh, flavor, kids, and they're like, well, yeah. can we have beige? That's our favorite type of food. So I hope it lasts for you. <laughs> Yeah, well, there'll be there'll be nothing beige about our our no, and I'm actually good wine be as well. Mounds of truffle pasta with freshly grated truffle on the top of it, you know, as plentifully as parmesan. This is perfect. So, is it dinner? Is a dinner party we're going to go for? I'm imagining. Yeah, it's a, it's a dinner party. I'm not going to get married again. I think that would be excessive. So, I, I, I'll I'll be there as a as a as a normal guest. The normal guest. Okay, so who's the first person who's going to arrive for your Italian evening? Um, I'm going to invite Sugar from The Crimson Petal and the White by oh. Michelle Faber. Have you read it? I haven't. I've heard such good things. Oh my goodness, you have to read it. In fact, you know, read it immediately. 
But now, get it now. now. We now. now. We I can't tell you why I haven't. Because I, and we will pick this up once yes. we get and Pestle in the White. <laughs> I don't know why I haven't, because it's one of those books I hear about all the time. And I see, yeah. you know, when you're like, I'll get that. And then mm. life happens. And I hear about it again. I think, God, I need to read that. Yeah, well, you do need to read that. And then once you've read it, I, I guess I'm allowed allowed to say it's got an unresolved ending. Yeah, you could have that. Okay, so it's got an unresolved ending. And we never, we never, you know, it, it's not that the ending is unresolved, but Michelle Faber has made us believe so completely in sugar, you know, that she, she for me, is the most real character I've ever come across. Um, like, I, I dreamed about her. And I was so hooked on this book that my husband was only allowed to communicate with me or talk to me if he was reading from the book. Um, so, so he like followed me around the house, like reading from the book. So I was like, I'm not going to, you know, if, I, if I'm going to be taken away from the book, then you have to at least read it to me. So um, it was, <laughs> I, <laughs> was I know my husband's response to no, that. This, so. this was like the first six months of our relationship, which <laughs> oddly enough, he didn't dump me but now he would not do that. I feel like now our relationship, you know, he, he, he doesn't yeah. feel the need to impress me any longer. No, he was impressed. Yeah, that was an impressing move there. Throw my book across the floor. At the time of years. Um, but anyway, so The Crimson Petal in the White has an unresolved ending in that it begins a new trajectory of a life somewhere new. And I want to know what happened. I want to know what happened to Sugar. I want to yes. know what her life is like afterwards. Um, and it's also why I love unresolved endings. And really both of my books have slightly unresolved endings yeah. or at least not endings which are tied up in neat bows because I like an ending which kind of leaves, which is like life where it's sort of messy and things aren't easily tied up. And they, I always reflect more and think about the books more which have those endings because you're still thinking about those characters if they're as if they're real rather than those where you've just kind of slammed shot the book and put it back on your shelves and you'll be like oh well you know they they um yeah, and they live happily ever after and, you know and every yeah, yeah. every marriage famously is extremely <laughs> successful but somehow in books we we believe that it will be yeah <laughs> I love that and the, for someone to be able to write a character you say that is that real yeah. is just um, incredible incredible I'm okay. I'm yeah, I, I love books like that. Well, I've, I can understand why you've invited Sugar, so I'm very excited. It, I will get that book, I promise you. So <laughs> she's arrived, who's next? So um, I find meeting other authors who, who I've admired for a huge amount of time um, pretty intimidating or, or, you know, even occasionally disappointing um, because there are so many authors. <laughs> you know I mean it, it's true sometimes it yeah happen. you build up a picture and, in your head of people sometimes yeah. don't you and they're just human beings <laughs> they're just human beings and you know they might be dismissive because they're really busy and why should they give you a huge amount of their time when you know but in your head you've built them into something something yeah. huge and completely unobtainable um and one of the most surreal elements for me as a as an author is that I now kind of meet authors who I've admired since I was maybe 10 years old as an equal at a book festival where I just feel like a complete imposter not in a bad way but just like oh my goodness like 
like Sarah Woodson is over there. Oh, I feel it doing this podcast and talking to like you and Kieran. And I literally, I'm like, I feel like I've just blagged my way into this. (laughs) And now I have to pretend like I know what I'm doing. So I imagine as a writer, when you're at a book festival, these people who are, yeah, you say you've looked up to you kind of are like, I've, we're I've like got, I'm like we're not peers we're, we're yeah just like, I've got my feet like, under the table but now what <laughs> I'm just like the weird groupie in the green room um but obviously I I try and play it a lot cooler than that otherwise I'd probably not get invited back to any festivals but um anyway um the person who I have admired for years I've read every single word that she's that she's published um and whenever I've seen her she has like more than lived up to any expectations I have and that's Maggie O'Farrell um she is she is just the warmest the loveliest um and the most talented person and you know in a way where I kind of you have to you have to suppress the creepy person in you who's like I just I just think we'd be great friends Maggie but you know I think I think we'd have a nice chat over dinner or at least I hope we would and you're not the first person to choose her actually so there's obviously a reason there's obviously a reason for that um I, I adored Hamnet I mean the, mm. the writing in that is just mm. outrageous isn't it <laughs> it's yeah. on those books that I read and I think why am I bothering to write this is pointless <laughs> and just the multi-voice and how successful that was and how moving an account it was um although my favorite of hers is The Hand That First Held Mine have you read that oh no I haven't another one for the list another one you're just adding to my list <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's a wonderful book and Maggie is a wonderful person and I think that kindness and warmth can be really underrated oh I completely agree I completely agree and I think she deserves an Italian evening right yeah totally I'm loving this okay I'm I'm excited we've got two amazing strong women are joining us Mm. at this table who's next uh Lizzie Siddle um and she Mm. was the inspiration for Iris yes okay uh, so she she was she was married to Rossetti, yeah. ultimately. But t- t- her, her her own paintings, you know, she didn't have the privilege of you know attending the Royal Academy since she was five years old, or you know being able to pursue it as a career or have the training um, which was which was needed. And she sort of learned from basically tidbits of uh, painting instructions given to her by Rossetti, who. Also, by, by, by most accounts, was, you know, throughout her life and even after her death, you know, put his art over her as a person, including when he had her exhumed for the book of poetry, which he buried with her um, five years after she died because he wanted to publish it and it was the only copy. So, you know, this is the sort of relationship that we're talking about here. Um, wow. and, <laughs> but but her, her artwork is astonishing. Her canvases are usually very small. Um, and very detailed and extraordinarily beautiful and I just think that I would like to know more about her and so much is written about you know Rossetti and so much is written about the the other pre-Raphaelite artists and so little of her work and her words survive Um, and I just really like to ask her about herself ask her about her painting and understand more about her and she's sort of been a bit of a blank slate in a way for many people to kind of project their own opinions and interpretations of her and I'd sort of like to get to know her as herself and I feel like um sugar will more than bring her out of her shell 
oh it's so true isn't it so often in history women kind of become like the footnotes to the stories yeah. of the men and so much is known I mean if you look back at like Henry VIII's queen so much is known about Henry mm. and yet his wives you know so subject to various rumors and stories and it always seems like the women you know they get their names mentioned alongside them and maybe like a little bit of information here and there but I mean she obviously was a fantastic artist in her she own was. right yeah and and she was completely untrained and you know that, that you know an art critic would say that you know she uses um she, she doesn't use oils correctly but her paintings just have these they, they are just absolutely astonishing and you know, every single exhibition where her work has been there even if I haven't immediately identified it as hers without reading underneath it that has been the painting that I've gravitated towards oh that would be amazing if you could meet her and talk to her because obviously you've got a real affinity with her with her work and with her yeah absolutely oh my goodness and would it be interesting to see what she thinks of the doll factory as well yeah, well, actually, one of the characters who I who I thought maybe could come along, but I I, I actually crossed this out and deleted it from my spreadsheet. So she's actually not invited because it's too narcissistic. Was Iris? Because I thought, how would she and Iris interact? Would they like each other? But Iris isn't invited because that's too narcissistic. We've had other authors invite their characters, um, and that is an interesting okay, okay, reason well, to do it. Yeah, well. I, 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 it's yeah, it's it's because the inspiration of her, yeah, for her, Lizzie Siddle is there. So I thought that would be kind of a, a little. Oh, imagine if she wasn't complimented by the. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that Lizzie Siddle would like her. But then again, I'm projecting so much about Lizzie Siddle from yeah, you know, the very scant records we have of her. So. Exactly. Okay. You is there anybody her. else who's coming along? Uh there is. There is one other. Well, okay, I think one more. But okay. I feel that any kind of evening or get together is just infinitely enhanced by a dog okay so, you know just that sense of warmth you have and familiarity so it's the dog from Sigrid Nunes the, the friends and you know fairly on in the book that the dog dies and the dog does die right um, so I would like to you know I, I, I cried when the dog died <laughs> people I would like so to much more like yeah when a dog died. dies in something a film or a book people are so much more affected <laughs> yeah the people you know routinely get upset with me about the taxidermy and yeah. not kind of the the child living in poverty yeah, it's wild isn't it I mean yeah I'm comparing this to my my dog is a bit of an asshole I love him very much he's not two yet but <laughs> he's incredibly naughty um so the thought of bringing my dog to a party mm. fills me with fear and dread but and when those nice dopey well-behaved dogs that just sort of lounges around great yeah I, I think this is the secret Nunez dog Oh, I love this. Okay. So we've got our Italian evening with really good food, excellent yeah. wine, lots of conversation around the table. I see candle light and I'm, oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. Is there anybody you really don't want to come to your party? Um, so I I I I don't want someone who will just hold forth. Okay. You know, I feel that, you know, this is a lovely group of actually it's, it's all women and, and a dog yeah. um but I feel that people will be kind of respectful of each other and it will just be a lovely flowing conversation so I feel that um Dickens Dickens is definitely not invited um no <laughs> I, I I have tried so many times to like Dickens's writing so many times and every single time I read one of his books it just feels like a man holding forth 
Yeah. And it's the weighty moralizing tone. It's the heaviness of him. It's his flat female characters. It's just kind of the whole kind of, you know, that heavy Victorian judgmentalness. I just imagine him coming with like lamb chops and very serious. Yeah, I feel like he'd just be kind of dismissive of the women in the room, dismissive of, of, you know, Lizzie Siddle and would just bore everyone by telling us about his latest plot. And we don't, we don't want to talk about books. We want to have fun. Not that books isn't fun, because talking about books is fun. But, you know, we don't want to talk about writing books. And, yeah. and I feel like he'd, he'd show off a little bit, whereas, you know, no one, no one likes to show off. No, and I, I really struggle with classics. I have to say classics aren't, aren't my kind of forte, but I also have friends who are very into their classics and they oh, really I, I struggle with it. I am very into my classics, just not very into Charles Dickens. No, I don't think I've ever heard anyone be like, God, oh, I'm such a big Charles Dickens fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I completely agree with that. I think I say we've got a nice conversation around the table. You don't want somebody yeah. who's pompous. Who's just going to dominate. Exactly, pompous and is going to dominate it. Oh, I think that's fair. And just so happened to be a man. (laughs) So it makes sense. But I love this. uh, And I love the idea of getting to revisit where you got married and enjoy Mm. good food and conversation. And perfect. Yeah, it will be great. (laughs) Now let's make it happen. How do we do this? Oh, Oh, well, thank you so, so much. Um, Before I let you... Siddle's already been dug up once. Oh, let's not do that again. No. (laughs) She probably looking at a better state now, to be fair, than she would have five five years after for her book of poetry. Poor lady, honestly. Sorry, before I let you go off and enjoy the rest of your evening, I have to ask: Are you reading anything at the moment? Um, yes, I am. So um, usually, I'm kind of obsessively reading latest books because I read a lot of proofs because I want to support authors in their careers as other authors have supported me. But recently I've kind of been in a little bit of a sort of lull funk. It's just sort of trying to get back into words when also having a baby who just, I'm obsessed with. I love him so much. And I always thought that um, I would feel resentful towards him because he would, he would kind of pull me away from work. But actually the opposite is true where work kind of uh, gets suppressed because I want to spend more time with him so there's there's no resentment there but it is it is I am finding it challenging to get yes. back into words um, and fall in love with writing and reading in the same way that I did but the book that's getting me there at the moment is Toby's Room by Pat Barker and oh, okay it's a wonderful book and I've, I, I think it's one of the few books I've read three times um that that's in probably Vanity Fair and Middlemarch, but um, yeah. it's it's just it's just a it's a wonderful, beautiful book. Um, and like every book, good you know, good love story. The, there are triangles galore, and it's about sort of the the impact of war on Eleanor Brooke, who's who loses her brother in the the First World War, and it's yeah. just it's such a moving and interesting account. And she's an art student at the Slade, so there's art which I'm always drawn to, um, but it's just really making me fall in love with reading and I think sometimes I could tell yeah when you need to get back into it sometimes something familiar something you know you love mine used to be the other Berlin girl if I ever wanted to just get back to reading I haven't read that oh do you know I read it first I was about 15 and I loved it it's it's part I've got a real Anne Boleyn obsession I've got band tattoos and and all sorts 
Um, and it all started from the other villain girl. I remember reading it about 16 and being a little bit into history and, but not that much. And just being completely lost in this, like, well, I was like, oh my goodness, like the Tudor court was sexy and it was, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very fun book. And she writes brilliantly. Philippa Gregory's just, her writing is fantastic. Yeah, I haven't actually read a Philippa Gregory. Oh, I think she is. Whether it's historically accurate or not is very debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, if she writes really well and that you really feel like you're there. And her Anne is very complicated. Her Anne Boleyn is very complex and very difficult and not very likable. Yeah. Um, have, have you read the, the Hilary Mantel trilogy? Yes, yes. Yeah, I took cool. Wolf Hall on my honeymoon when I was like 19. <laughs> you got married at 19? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've married for 12 years now, so. Amazing. Yeah, yes. So we say about marriages they're fun (laughs) it takes work but we waited a long time to have our children I was 26 when we had our our little girls so we were kind of in the in the swing of things but yeah I I remember Mm. taking Wolf Hall on my honeymoon and then thinking what am I doing with this big tome but Mm. I mean her Cromwell is just amazing yeah Yeah, she's she's just surpasses every writer it feels when I read her books Oh my goodness. I think, and it, I love that historical fiction's had such a renaissance as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of gone from like, you know, the Jean Plady and the, you know, there was a lot of that around, which I love. I still read. But I think that there's a lot more out there now. It was a lot of kind of like World War II or Tudor novels. Yeah. And not a lot in between. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting to see kind of um, new areas of history being, being looked at, like um, Matrix by Lauren Groff. Yes, I have that on my shelf and I really need to get to it because everyone has told me how good it is. Yeah, so medieval monastery, uh, I mean, nunnery, not monastery. Nunnery, yeah. yeah. Priory, is it priory? Priory, priory, yes, <laughs> priory. <laughs> and yeah, just just a piece of if history brought to life in a way that no, nothing I've read before has, has brought that period to life in the, the, quite the same way. Yeah, yeah, and I love, I, I'm a big fan of Greek mythology. Um, and again, there seems to be a real kind of uprising in in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, and and I love it. This, I I honestly think historical fiction is one of those things where there is something for everybody, mm. and it allows you to look at the world at a slant as well. You yes. know where it can kind of confront issues that might preoccupy you now, but you don't necessarily want to confront head on. You want kind of it sort of at a slant at a distance um yeah. and then you can you know certainly as a writer I find I can engage with them a lot more than if I'm talking about you know fake news and Donald Trump I don't want to write about that but kind of the generation of fake news of the Crimean war and yeah. all, all of that I find really really interesting um but I feel writing about it in the present day would feel too on the nose yes or at least yeah, my no, writing would be too on the nose yeah and we are so fortunate in this country that we have such access to history as well like our history is it's so goes so far back and you don't realize how accessible it is to us Mm, absolutely very lucky I love taking my children to they're really into their history uh because I force it into them (laughs) (laughs) but it's the best thing I love seeing history now through like my children's eyes is just the best thing so I, that's you have all of this to look forward to as well. Yeah, I can't wait. He's sort of becoming less and less vegetable-like 
by the day. So and you make him such lovely. lovely outfits. I can't wait to see what he gets oh, to wear to his God, first castle poor, trip. Poor child, like he's he's like the biggest, hulkiest boy ever. But whenever he's in one of my outfits, everyone's like, "Oh, look at her! Isn't she beautiful?" And I'm like, "Well, I mean, she is. He might be dressed like sort of an Edwardian child, but it's definitely a boy." <laughs> yeah, um, my little girl was always dressed in like greys and things, and I and she was a very girly looking little girl but I would always get oh he's lovely and I'd look and think I'm pretty sure you can see she's a girl <laughs> people but I can't wait his first you know castle trip is going to be I think you'll have quite the ensemble for him yeah oh oh yes and and fancy dress I'm gonna go to town he's gonna act the shit out of you know the the, the ancillary role he gets given in he needs a little rakish hat <laughs> with a little feather yeah so- <laughs> I can't wait. Well, thank you so, so much. This has been just wonderful to chat with you. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me. What a lovely use of an evening. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.